I'm the lead minister of Real Life Ministries here. If you're new, I just want to say thank you for joining us this morning. If you're online, thank you for joining us as well. Um, we are continuing this series on God Help Us Unite. And as we are wrapping it up today, we're moving forward into our Christmas uh, series next week. Uh, and I want you guys, I talked about this last week, uh, I want you guys to be thinking about... Uh, Next week a little bit, it's going to get a little crazy because we're going to have Lifer Kids up here doing their Lifer Kids Christmas program. And if you're having a bad day, this is a day you want to go to church because no matter what's going on in your life, you'll leave here smiling and laughing because of all the joy that's involved up here up on the stage. And so uh, really excited for that. And then uh, two weeks later, it's Christmas Eve. How many of you guys are ready for Christmas? Yeah. I don't know what it is about this year, but it is like taking forever to like get my brain wrapped around really getting ready for Christmas. It feels like it's coming so quickly. Um, and it's, it's an exciting time, though, for our church. I shared last week that uh, we had record attendance for non-holiday uh, church services two weeks ago, right before Christmas, or Thanksgiving. And uh, Joe's been encouraging you guys to fill out those QR codes. It's going to make a huge difference on us just being able to prepare for people. The other thing that we want you to do is we want you to start praying. Start praying about Christmas Eve and start praying about who it is that you feel like God is inviting you to be on mission and to reach out to and invite to Christmas Eve services because this is an opportunity every single year where the gospel is working in people's hearts. God is upstream working ahead of us, you guys, and he's inviting us to partner with him and being on mission and we just want to invite you to think about who is it that God is putting on your heart to invite to a Christmas Eve service. And what's interesting about this year is Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday. Um, and so the reality is for the majority of people, the excuses have kind of been removed because there usually is no work on Sunday morning, no work on Sunday afternoon. And so I just want to encourage you, would you be willing to start praying? And would you be willing to be courageous and invite someone to Christmas Eve? Because it's going to be a powerful day. I believe that God's going to do an amazing work in not only our hearts, but in the hearts of people that come that maybe have never heard the reality of how much Jesus actually loves them. And then he came and born and died for us. And so we're going to wrap up. God help us unite today and start our Christmas series next week. And excited to see what God's going to do. I want to ask this question, even though we did our Thanksgiving weekend last week and now we're into December. Uh, I do want to hear from you in, in uh, just a, w a showing of raising your hand. How was your Thanksgiving dinner? Was it good? Raise your hand if you had a good thing. Wow, that's great. So for the rest of you, if your Thanksgiving dinner wasn't that great, would you be willing to be vulnerable and raise your hand? Thank you wasn't great yeah yeah well i want to tell you for those of you that had a great thanksgiving praise god for those of you that had a rough thanksgiving i've had a lot of rough thanksgivings and here's what i've noticed oftentimes in regards to my rough thanksgiving is it literally was coupled then with a bad christmas Usually if my Thanksgiving was rough, my Christmas is just usually rough as well. And a lot of times it has to do with exactly what we're talking about today in regards to 
not having any peace. Not having any peace with God and not having any peace with either close friends or even more so, not having any peace with my family. And my hope and desire for today is that if you had a rough Thanksgiving or, or maybe your Thanksgiving is great but it's quickly been removed and you don't have any peace, that today you'd have a little bit more peace as to what is the part that God wants you to play. You might be saying, well, my Thanksgiving was great because I didn't have any family at Thanksgiving, so I had a whole lot of peace. <laughs> Maybe God's inviting you to bring a little bit more peace in your own heart so you can be a peacemaker with other people. So I want to review where we've been the last three weeks talking about the basic truths of Ephesians chapter 3 and chapter 4. God's loving kindness towards us is the foundation from which all of us as Christians live. That Jesus calls our hearts to be rooted and established in the love of the Father that allows the fullness of God to actually be manifested through us. That's what's amazing about the faith of following Jesus is he gives us his Holy Spirit that God is actually called to be manifested inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, and then it, then it has the ability to impact and love other people. It's his love in us that changes us and renews us, and that out of that love that God has for us, we're called to love one another, and then within the church, Ephesians 3 and 4 talks about how we are actually called to be his people that guard the unity of the church. Uh, the unity is not threatened in the church from the, an outside force or an outside entity. It actually starts with you and I being unified as one. Jesus talked about this in his last uh, days here on earth. He prayed for you. He prayed for us. He said this in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Paul's continuing on this message in Ephesians, and it's an echoing of the same thing in 1 Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there may, there may be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so we've been talking about what does uh, God call us to be and how do we cultivate unity. In Ephesians 4, there's a list of attributes in regards to what actually cultivates unity. I just want to read Ephesians 4 over you again. Verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. What was the word that we use uh, instead of patience, because sometimes patience is one of those words that goes in the air, out the next. What was the other word that we used in regards to patience last week? Long-suffering. That is a totally different mental image than patience, right? Long-suffering. Be long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. And now verse 3. What we're going to focus on today. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
So God cultivates unity through you when you live out these qualities that we've been journeying through. Humility and understanding that I am no better than anybody else, that it's God's grace that saves me. It's his love that saves me. It's, it's the reality that every single one of us are on a level playing field because every single one of us is a sinner saved by God's grace. And because of that, I can then look at other people from a posture of empathy. I can look and see that just because someone sins differently than me doesn't make me better than. It makes me still a sinner. And because I can look at people with humility and empathy, I can offer gentleness to people. I can offer long-suffering patience to people. And lastly, we're talking today about peace. I can offer peace to people. That word peace is the Greek word arene. It's the same word that we find in the Hebrew that says shalom. Its definition is, is a description of a state of national tranquility, exemption from rage or a havoc of war. It's a description of peace between individuals, harmony, concord, security, safety, prosperity. And even though Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4 in regards to peace that we are called to keep, that's really continuing on of the conversation that Paul talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 2 as he's laying out this theological framework about how we as Christians are called to live with one another in the church. The current conflict of Paul's time at that moment was the relationship between Jew and Gentile. And there was a conflict because the Jewish Christians at that moment were learning to actually accept Gentiles, people that weren't born as a native Jew. They were being welcomed into the church as one under the lordship of Jesus. And you can go look at the book of Acts. There's a really crisis of faith that's involved where, where Peter is beginning to realize Jesus is saying, I want the Gentiles in the church too. Not just Jews. I want Gentile Christians to join the church. And there's a whole lot of hostility that's involved in that because for, for hundreds of years, it's been all about the Jews. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to bring all of God's people, all of my children under my lordship into my church. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, therefore remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our, what's it say? He is our peace. Jesus is the one that brings us peace because he has removed the barrier of us having a relationship with him by removing sin because of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17 is key. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. We have peace because what Jesus has done for us. And Paul continues on in Ephesians chapter 4 to let the church know that we are called to be a people that make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. Why? Because you have been reconciled to God and he has brought peace to you. And if he has brought peace to you, you are called to bring peace to others. And I want you to notice the key words that Paul gives here. Make every effort to keep. That word keep in the Greek means to attend to carefully. To take care of. I want you to think about anything that's fragile. Paul's saying, take care of it. Tend to it. Hold on to it. It reminds me of every single time I send Theo, my seven-year-old, out to the other fridge in the garage to fill up the container of eggs to put in our fridge in, in the main kitchen. Every single time I do that, I know it's good for him, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to go, Dad, I need help. And I go out into the garage to see eggs everywhere on the ground, right? Like you have to tend to that carefully. And Paul's saying when it comes to keeping the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, to keep means to do it carefully, do it intentionally, to pay attention that sometimes that can be fragile. Our relationships can be fragile, to keep it, to tend to it. And then he says, make every effort, make every effort to keep it, to tend to it, to cultivate it. It means to hasten, make haste, to exert oneself. I love the, like, the, the paradoxical description. One is like, be careful, tend to it, be intentional with it, but then to do it with an exertion of oneself, endeavor to give diligence. And for any of you guys that go to the gym on a regular basis, you know what this means to exert yourself, right? If you don't like going to the gym, I don't know what other illustration to give you, but, it, but it, it's this idea of blood, sweat, and tears, like you're doing everything in your power, blood, sweat, and tears, to cultivate, to fight for, to keep the unity of the bond of peace. Another way maybe you can understand this is if you're a golfer. This is what I've noticed about golfing. I got into golfing my junior year in high school. I spent my summer really going to football workouts and golfing with my good buddy, Matt Frisbee. And I golfed a lot, at least a lot for me. Like I was at the golf course probably like three times a week for nine weeks. And you know how much my golf game improved stroke-wise? Zero. And in that moment, I was like, uh, like golf's gonna be like the thing that I do but like I I didn't really improve a whole lot after 18 rounds of golf or whatever it was and so I just I'm, I'm just gonna play golf for fun so I golf like once a year but the people that are committed to golfing here's what I've noticed about people that are committed to golfing they're always practicing and tweaking their swing have you noticed that like there's a diligence involved with golfing 
I mean, some of my good friends, I, I would go and golf with them, and, and summer after summer, they're like, yeah, I'm tweaking my golf swing. I'm like, man, you're always tweaking your golf swing. But in that is this, like, commitment to continually working on it, a diligence with it. I was talking to, to Mike Dalton, who does facility stuff, and I was giving them a hard time because it's cold, and they quit golfing when it's cold. I was like, come on, man, aren't you one of those tough guys that are out there freezing? He's like, no, I don't go out and golf during the winter, right? He said, but I go to a simulator indoors during the winter. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, golfers are always working on their golf swing. Diligence. Whatever hobby you have, usually you're pretty diligent in it. How do I grow? How do I get better? That's kind of the picture of what it means to keep and fight for unity to bring peace. It's constantly working on it. Constantly figuring it out. Constantly growing in how to be a person that brings peace. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemaking. Notice that Jesus didn't say, make every effort to be a peacekeeper. Jesus didn't say, make every effort to be a peacebreaker, to be a peacemaker. And here's the question I want to ask you. How do we do that? If we're called to cultivate unity, we're called to intentionally, carefully keep the unity of the bond, keep the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, and we're called to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, how do you actually do that? Because it's actually quite difficult, especially if you grew up in a home where you didn't have a whole lot of peace. If you learned a lot of ways to be a peacebreaker, it's actually hard to learn how to become a peacemaker. And I want to share with you a graphic that I modified from the book The Peacemaker by Ken Sand. And what I want to show you is there's two ends of this idea of peacemaking that aren't, isn't really peacemaking. It's this idea of, of this arc, and it's really good visual in regards to the slippery slope, okay? The slippery slope is the middle, right? That's where we get the idea. It's a slippery slope. Why? Because if we lean too far on either side, we move from the middle, which is what God actually wants with regards to peacemaking. But the first step is peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is this idea externally, it looks like everything is peaceful. But the reality of it is, is internally, you don't have any peace. Oh, I'm willing to like smile. I'm like, oh no, it's fine. Like I'm willing to like avoid, maybe even internally blame, or maybe even deny that there's anything wrong and minimize the, the, the conflict that's going on on the external but in the internal you're stewing how do you know when you're stewing let me ask you this question it's fine it's fine no it's fine everything's fine but you're still talking about how you've been hurt or wounded and we're a month two weeks maybe even a week afterwards here's when we can know we're peacekeeping is we say everything's fine but we're still talking about it. And then when someone who you love and respect says, hey, maybe you ought to talk to that person. Oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. I don't know if it is fine. 
peacekeeping. It's a willingness to continue to live in a posture where things are eating at you, but you don't want to talk to the person about what's eating at you. On the other end of the spectrum is peace breaking. Most of us are familiar with this. Usually it involves some type of condemnation, even maybe an assault with words, accusation, gossip. None of this brings peace. And these are the two ends of the spectrum oftentimes that we, we like to live in because honestly, we think that we're actually feeling better because we're not actually dealing with the conflict that's put in front of us. What God's inviting you into, what God's inviting us into is actually peacemaking. What is that peacemaking? What does that look like? Well, here's what I'll say about peacemaking. The first one is this. We can actually choose to make peace by choosing to just overlook people's mistakes, faults, even sin against us. You know what that's called? Not taking an offense. And we're great at that as Americans, aren't we? We get offended all the time. All the time. And it's okay for us to not take an offense. However, sometimes there are things that are said that are hurtful. There are things that we hear from people and we go, man, that hurt. And it's completely okay to acknowledge that something hurt. The question is, are we willing to now start the conversation with someone about how they have hurt you? What's that called? It's called reconciliation. And if you were to look at reconciliation, it's Matthew chapter 18. It's the ability to go to someone and say, you have hurt me or wronged me. And I just want to talk about it. I want to work through it. Our relationship right now, it's broken. This is what peacemaking looks like. Make every effort. Tend to it. Cultivate it. Guys, exert yourself. This is hard work. This is hard work for us to do as Christians. But this is what Jesus called us to, to be a people that reconcile, that begin the process of dialoguing. And dialoguing sometimes means that I have to say something that's truthful, even though, even though it may be painful. But how do I do it? I do it in love. I do it with gentleness. I do it with long-suffering in mind. I do it with humility, to speak the truth in love, in the midst of difficulty. This is what Jesus has called us to. And sometimes, you guys, it requires us, you know what? We're not hearing each other very well. And this isn't really moving us into a good trajectory. Maybe we ought to invite someone else in. It's mediation. It's someone that's helping us navigate the brokenness that's in front of us in the midst of a relationship that's, that's not working it's also sometimes when intervention takes place. When someone has gone to a place of darkness in regards to their addiction, it requires intervention. It requires the church to step in and to love one another. And then lastly, hopefully, through resolution, there's also accountability that then takes place. And for some of us, that means we have to put boundaries in place. Boundaries that have to be put in place to help move the relationship forward or sometimes to actually protect even your own mental health, sometimes we have to put boundaries in place. 
Because here's what I want to tell you. We say this a lot here at Life Ministries. You can't do the other person's part. You can only do your part. And we know that God is always doing his part. Amen? So when it comes to this, we've got to be willing to ask ourselves, where do I land most of the time? Where's my default? Because every single one of us has a default. Peacekeeping or peacebreaking. But Jesus is inviting you, he's inviting us and to be a people that fight for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we've got to get good. We've got to learn how to be a peacemaker. And I say that intentionally. You have to learn to be committed to be a peacemaker. For all you golfers, you're committed to your golf swing, right? If you're a hunter, you're a fisherman, you're committed to your hobby. You exert a lot of time and energy to that thing. We as God's people, we need to be committed to learning how to be a peacemaker. And it's hard work. It's hard work. It's not easy. A couple things I want you to think about in regards to this. When it comes to peacekeeping, what's your focus? Well, it's really me. It's me. And my comfort level. Peace breaking, my focus is you. You're the problem. You're the problem. What is your goal? Peace faking, peacemaking, or peacekeeping? What is your goal when you're peace breaking? It's getting what I want. I have certain things that I want. I'm going to get those things because you're the problem and you need to fix it in order to get what I want. What is the result? Both of those lead to broken relationship. Now, peacemaking, what's your focus? It's actually us. Peacemaking is actually us. That's the focus. It's not you, it's not me, it's both of us. I have a part to play, you have a part to play, God's playing his part. How do we work this out? How are we committed to one another? What's your goal? I want peace. And what's the result? Oftentimes it's reconciliation. It's reconciliation. It's a fighting for reconciliation. I want to tell you that I'm still learning how to do this. This is not something that is like a check of the box. You're like, man, I got this nailed. Because life changes. Things change. And the enemy is always trying to divide people, the church, from within. And there's new things that God reveals in the midst of peacemaking. But I want to tell you that if you're committed to the long haul of fighting for relationship, God seems to always continue to show up. Many of you know my story. came from a broken home. My senior year in high school, mom and dad split up. My mom and dad choosing to split up almost gave all the other aunts and uncles permission to then seek divorce. Have you ever had that happen in maybe your family? Like our family was kind of the linchpin of that. There were probably at least whew, six Thanksgivings in a row and Christmases where my family didn't come together. It's horrible. And I wish that I could tell you, oh man, I was always being a peacemaker. No, I wasn't. Most of the time I was a peace breaker, to be honest with you.
but I want to share with you this picture from last spring. And you say, well, that's just Justin's family. Well, yeah, it is just my family. But because we've committed to learning it, <laughs> we're still trying to learn it, you guys. This is Easter. Easter afternoon. Me, my family, my mom, my dad and his wife, my stepmom, eating together. Have an Easter dinner together. My aunt, my uncle, who are still divorced, they're eating together. My cousins, my, my cousin, my nieces, nephews, all of us together. And I want to tell you, if you're willing to be a peacemaker, if you're willing to have hard conversations to do them lovingly, Jesus will meet you in this place. And it may take a lot of years. It may take your whole lifetime. But reconciliation can come. And this is who we are, called to be, as Jesus' church. A people that fight and are willing to learn to be a peacemaker. And so as we get ready to close out, this is what I want to ask you. Who is that person for you? Who is that person? Because as soon as I started this sermon this morning, you probably had that person come right in your brain. Jesus is calling on you to be a peacemaker. Does that mean we get rid of boundaries? No, don't hear me say that. We got to have boundaries. But how we put those boundaries in place, how we love, how we speak the truth in love, that matters. And it gives room for the Holy Spirit to work in all of our hearts. So who is that person? And how can you start to pray for them today? How can you start to be the one that says, I'm going to do my best to be godly in this situation. Here's what I want to tell you. If you feel like you're alone in that, I'll tell you right now, we've got an amazing, amazing family here at Real Life that is going to walk beside you in the midst of maybe a difficult road ahead because you're not alone. You're not alone. So as we move into our time of communion, if you came in and you didn't receive the elements and you want to take communion now and take those elements, would you be willing just to raise your hand? And I know these amazing servants would love to serve you the elements as we move into our time of communion. I just want to invite you to pray. Pray for the situation you're in. Pray for the family you're in. And pray for that person that you have broken a relationship with. And what part can you play in bringing peace? Let's pray.
night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. He said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And he raised a cup of wine and he blessed it. He said, this represents my blood, which is spilled for you. Drink in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you have removed the hostility. For those of us that have accepted you, surrendered to you, God, we have peace with you. So God, help us to be a people that reflect that goodness, Lord. Lord, 